But it's interesting about how baptism and public, the publicity of it, they're intertwined. And we read um, last, two weeks ago, from Matthew 3, about how JTB, our man, who's JTB? John the Baptist, right? He's out there. The anointing and the calling on his life is, hey, listen, you're going to be the one. It said in Isaiah, you're the one in the desert. You're going to prepare the way for the Lord, a.k.a. you're the setup man. That's what your calling is, that your anointing is. You got one message, the one message that you get to preach, repent. Everybody listen. Change your life the way that you are doing things. The way you're thinking about it, the way that you're going about it, change it. Align it with what God has said, with what he wants to do. You'll never regret it, and it's going to save your soul. That was his one message. That was it. That was a calling on his life. And he was a setup man for the true Lamb of God that was coming. And we read about how that was his one message, and the way people proved or showed or the way they confirmed that they're actually going to follow God is, you know, they're like, okay, well, I agree. I'm going to do it. What do I got to do? And listen, the way that you show that, Get baptized. The act in and of itself doesn't save you. The act is just an outward expression. And we said last time that there's even, there's some people who will be baptized and they won't be in heaven. Let that set in like for a minute. Because there will be some people that think that they can just do an act and somehow that fulfills a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's not true. It's not true. The baptism is supposed to be a sign of what's already happened on the inside. Where someone's like, listen, I'm following the Lord. My life is about Jesus Christ. I don't even know what that means or how it's going to look, but I know it's the right thing to do, and I know I'm called to do it, and that's all I'm going to do. And then they get baptized. Right? It's wrong to say, well, everybody else gets baptized. It's the kind of thing you do, so I just do it. Right? There's no meaning to it then. There's a phrase at the end of when John the Baptist was talking that I want to just look a little bit closer at today. And we'll see how far we get. I don't know how far we're going to get. But I wanted to just look at that phrase and talk about it a little bit because I think there is a supreme amount of value at looking at this phrase. Okay? So let's look at it, and then we'll kind of see how far we got. Okay? So here we go. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to pick up verse 11. Okay? Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. This is uh, our man, JTB, talking, okay? I baptize you with water for repentance. Everybody say repentance. That was his one word message change, 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 change your life, change the way you're doing things, change it, change it, change it. Don't go back, change it. That's what repentance is. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me, will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I can't even carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Everybody say Holy Spirit. Spirit. Everybody say fire. fire. That's a whole other kind of baptism going on. So water's like getting there. There's like this other thing, instance, this other baptism that's happening. He's saying that when he shows up, that's the way it's going to happen. 
which we're going to talk more about. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand. Jesus, the one who's coming later. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. A.K.A., he's just saying, listen, this person that's going to come, I can't even hold the sandals. He's the one. He's the one that this is all about, just pointing to him. And when he comes and when he does it, not only with water, he's going to do it with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, the reason for that is because when we stand before, but say stand before. before. Well, actually, we'll be kneeling. So probably not the most accurate. We're going to be kneeling before God himself at some point in time. He said, hey, listen, what did you do with the sacrifice of my son? How did you respond? We all get there. Little Michael Roberts IV at some point, my sons, myself, whoever. And that's why we can't like get on anybody else's coattails. It doesn't happen through any other way. It comes down to me and my Savior and where do I stand and how did I respond? That's what it comes down to. And so John the Baptist saying, hey, listen, this Holy Spirit thing, when he comes, he does his baptism, that's a sign, that's evidence of those that they're in good shape. They can say, listen, I've responded. I've given my life. The Spirit has fallen on me. I'm, I'm doing it. They're separated from those that have not. So he says this winnowing fork and the chaff, like you separate wheat, a kernel of wheat, from the husk, the outside of it, that's the way we get separated in the end. The kernel of the wheat, those would be the ones that said, yes to Jesus, I'm going to follow him. The chaff, the outside husk of it, that's the stuff that gets burned up. Those are the ones that say, no, I, I, no, no. I'm saying, no, I don't want him. I don't receive him in my life. I don't want to follow him the way he says, no. And hell is a real place and real people go there. So then he goes further. Verse 13. Then Jesus, I would say Jesus. When you're in church, you've got to say Jesus, right? Have to. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? John knows right away. He's like, I was the setup the whole time. Like, this is pointing to you for you. And no way should I be baptized by you. That's wrong. Verse 15, Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So in other words, Jesus said, Hey, listen, this is the way it's got to be. This is the way the Lord has it. I know it doesn't feel right, but we just got to do it. And you just, John's probably trembling, you know what I mean? Like, can you imagine you're going to baptize Jesus? I mean, Man, overwhelming. Overwhelming. Verse 16 says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. 
So it's, it's a history-changing moment. The Messiah, he's here, he's come. John the Baptist has set up the way. He's now there. He gets baptized. And the interesting thing is, directly after this, you look in your Bible, Matthew chapter 4, he goes right to the desert. He needs time alone with God. Everybody say time alone. He had a magnificent like baptism. I think most people would agree. That's like crazy. Heaven opens up, a dove comes down, God's voice is speaking. That's amazing. Nowhere near a done deal. Now, he needs 40 days alone with his father to figure out, okay, what are we doing? So do you think if Jesus needed that, it's not far-fetched at all. He was only out there for 40 days. Don't be far-fetched. Don't, don't be surprised when you're in seasons that last years for God to do the work that needs to be done so we can go the places he wants to take us. So he says, we're baptizing now with water, and so we still baptize with water. Because it was a pattern set up all through the New Testament. Early churches, what they did. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? Do you follow him? Have you been baptized? That's what they would say. That's what they would ask people. And they'd say, well, no, you know, we haven't. It's like, okay, here's some water. Boom, we do it. And that was part of it. The other part is the Holy Spirit. Say Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Spirit. And with the time that we have left, there's there's no way that we can talk about every single uh, dimension or aspect of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and how all that works. But I just want to touch on part of it. Um, go to turn to Acts 1, okay? Turn to Acts 1. We're going to look there. Acts 1. Okay. This past week, it kind of, um, before Friday, there was soccer camp for our oldest one. Jaron was our oldest one. He had like the little orange, you know, plaid gray thing going on. He had soccer camp this past week. And uh, it was with a, a church in Waterbury. They were putting it on. They did an awesome job. And uh, on the last day, you go a little bit earlier, you see all the kids scrimmage. And they do kind of like a closing sort of ceremony type thing. <clears throat> and in the scrimmage, he was like the youngest age group. And so you got a picture. you got like 75 kids. They're taking up all these fields. There's all these goals set up. Got all the soccer balls. Got all the stuff. All the coaches. All this activity going on. Jaron's particular group was the youngest one. And um, there's like, you know, seven or eight maybe on that little field. And there's seven. They're just scattered everywhere. So they're playing the game. They're doing their thing. And me and Julie had just happened to show up. They're probably a minute or so into the game. And you just see them all. When it's little kids and it's soccer, you know, you're supposed to play positions. You know, you stay in your position. And the ball gets there. You know, you do whatever with it. 
little kids, it's just you drop the ball, they just, they just follow, there's no position. They just follow wherever it goes, and they just go nuts. And it's so funny. So Jaron is, like, extremely competitive. Like, we're working on that at home, you know, as far as how to do that in the right way. Um, because he gets kind of nuts with his brothers, so we're trying to figure out how to do that well and parent that well. But he's so competitive. And so when that ball, as soon as the ball drops and the whistle blows, I mean, there's no positions to him. There is, wherever the ball is, I am, and I'm taking it. And he's just, just the way he is. He's following. He's on the ball everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. He's following it. The interesting thing is, the way they had it set up was that when they're, so they're playing, and if the ball goes out of bounds, you know, typically in soccer, you know, there's a throw-in. You know, you throw the ball back in, start again. Because there's so much activity and so many things going on, and they're kind of little, they can't really do the throw-in thing. It just, that transition of throwing things in is just not like a clean or easy one. So when they see the ball starting to head out of bounds, one of the coaches, he's got a couple of balls, he sees the ball going out of bounds, he'll like blow a whistle, and he'll just roll a new ball in, and they just play with the new ball going. So they're getting towards out of bounds. He's like, you know, blows it, boom, throws a new ball. They start chasing that to go play with that. That goes out of bounds, blows the whistle, throws another one, and they just chase it. So one time, Jaron was just like in the zone, you know, following his ball, chasing it. And he had blown the whistle. But he didn't hear it. He was so focused on what was going on. And so was this other kid, like two other kids. And they're like fighting over it, you know, and they're like removed from the field now. You know, like away. Meanwhile, the real game is going on over here <laughs> that everybody's playing. And it was in that moment, in that moment, the Lord just brought it right to my heart. He said, too often that happens when people are following me. Like, we can be in life and doing life, be a Christian, and the ball drops over here, and we're so consumed with what's happening right here, we're missing the entire game that's happening over there. That's actually playing out in the reality. But our perception is oftentimes our reality. So we just see here, and we just see that, and we, like, just, but we're missing the game. And it's interesting to me that throughout the entire New Testament, Paul repeated times had to go to churches that he had planted and places that he has gone and he said, hey, you guys got to get back to like what the gospel even is. You have to get back to your relationship with God and stop filling it with all these other things that are like religious in nature, but they don't put you in the right place. They don't lead you towards your destiny. He had to continually to remind people, remind churches of that. Beware of busy religious activity. And a lot of times you just think of it like a plane, like you could just be really busy on a tarmac, driving around on it. You could be playing with the PA speaker. You could be like serving food. But if you're not getting off the ground, it's pretty useless. And so many Christians spend a large amount of like the relationship with God on a tarmac, filling it with all this busy stuff. And it feels really busy, but it's not really productive. And when we become baptized, conversion, or we say conversion. Conversion is only step one. 
All that means is we were just born again. We are now infants. We got to learn how to crawl. We got to learn how to walk. Wait, there's so much we have to learn now how to faithfully follow in this new life. And what happens is a lot of times for many of us is that when we become converted and then we start to like live for God, there's that phrase, live for God, it's like we get caught up in our own efforts. Let me say efforts. Now here's a, let me say something about efforts. Efforts matter, but it's not the sum total of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Efforts are important. It's very clear. Colossians, other places, it says, put to death. Put to death. Uh, jealousy. Quarrelsome. Um, fits of anger. Like, these are things that you have to do, right? It requires effort. You have to do them. You've got to faithfully put yourself in a situation and around people like, that are right. So effort matters. But a lot of times what happens is in the Christian faith, people like, then start to try they start to try, and it's like, okay, well, I'm trying like, really hard to faithfully follow God now. But there's not a lot of breakthrough happening, and there's a lot of discouragement that's there. And then there's like this sort of, I'm not sure what's going on right now. And here's why. The problem is, is that somehow along the way, the shift went from being empowered, it would say empowered, the shift went from knowing that we have to be empowered by God, live from his strength, to, man, I'm trying really hard and putting forth a lot of effort. And we just, we just see that one ball of just effort that we're living from and that we're doing, because we're doing all this stuff. We're changing so many things. And it's probably like for good reasons, but it's done in our own strength, and so it's not leading to the fruit that needs to happen. Do you hear what I'm saying? So like our effort becomes like that ball where we're just like just stuck in, I, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to read my Bible for an hour and I got to go to do this thing here and I got to do this over here. And maybe some of that's true. Probably a lot of it. But it has to be led, birthed, and empowered and carried through the Spirit because like Jesus said, you come to me when you're tired, when you're burdened, when you're heavy laden so I can do the heavy lifting. You still got to show up and partner with me. But you are by no means called to do all that in your own strength. Are you with me? So conversion and just like making the first step and fifty and saying, okay, now I got to do these things that the Lord's put in my life. Okay, good. So like that's step one. The great news is on step two that the new baptism came when Jesus Christ left. The Holy Spirit came and now with the Holy Spirit comes this empowerment. I say empowerment. Yeah, so we got our effort, and then we have this empowering. And it's not like they have to come together. Like they have to dovetail together in the right way. So you got your effort, and you got this empowerment. And the Holy Spirit shows up in Acts 1. I didn't forget about Acts 1. The Holy Spirit shows up, And it was all about empowerment. And I want to go, uh, go to chapter 2 here. 
We're going to go to chapter 2. I was going to go to chapter 1, but the time is like going. And Sorry, I'm going to stay in 1 and I'm going to hop to 2. I'm sorry, I don't like doing that. But Acts 1, verse 6. Okay, and then I'm going to jump. So, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the dates, times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power. Everybody say, receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Yeah, everybody say witnesses. Excuse me, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Someone might ask a very good question. And they might say, okay, got John's baptism and repentance, you're going to change your life. Why do you even need the Holy Spirit to then come in? That's a good and fair question to ask. And hopefully you don't give your opinion. Hopefully you give like what the Bible says. That's where we want to go, right? We want to have biblical literacy. And the idea is that we have the Holy Spirit because, in case you didn't know it, I am called, you are called, every believer is called to be the man or woman that they cannot be in their own strength. Exactly. God's purpose, his destiny that is on our lives does not get reached and does not be revealed nor even close to being attained without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the work. The transformation work. So the effort is like there to partner, but the Holy Spirit needs to be there to have this to happen. He said, empowered, so that you could be my... That's interesting. So not only do we need to be like empowered to live in a supernatural way, to say no to things, to say yes to things, but we need the empowerment to be witnesses. Like just to shine as a bright light in this world, like we need to be empowered on that. And I said we can't get into all the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there's a lot of things with it, but I will tell you at least this is a small part because we don't have much time left. When you look through the book of Acts and you look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to say even when you look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not just one thing. What it is is a filling. It's an overwhelming of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just come one time in a believer's life. It can come multiple, and it does come many times. Because we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, which also implies that we, we could be running on low and beyond empty. There are some seasons and some situations where the Holy Spirit comes on a person, an individual, in a very powerful way. Sometimes you see something like tongues happen. That's not the only sign. And I can't biblically give it to you all to you right now, but what I can tell you is that's not the only one. Actually, more times than tongues even reference in the New Testament, it's when boldness would come on an individual or on people to proclaim who God is and the reality of his nature. That actually 
happens more often than tongues when the baptism or an overwhelming or a filling of the Holy Spirit comes on someone. They can boldly, just confidently, just, man, prophetically proclaim who God is. And it's interesting, in the book of Acts, like just thousands would respond. It's crazy. It's amazing. So we need this empowerment to be witnesses. Because everybody say, everybody, don't, you don't have to say, but it's true, we don't need to be closet, quiet. That's not, that's not our calling. We're called to be witnesses on this earth of who he is, what he has done, because he is spreading his good news. He is making his kingdom come, his will be done, by us being witnesses. It's kind of crazy to me that he chooses to do it that way, knowing all of our shortcomings, inadequacies, failures, tendencies towards failure, all that stuff. He says, no, like, that's the way I'm doing it. They're going to experience and know my glory. And so will the world, because the world will see me work through and in their lives, and the world will say, man, that is just not. They're not able to do that. They're not able to do that. So it's 1254. We'll do another part next week. But I just wanted to leave you just with this one thought, hopefully to encourage you, because I want to take communion. I want to encourage you with this, okay? It is of, don't fall into the trap. I'm not saying, don't put forth effort in your Christian life. I'm not at all saying that. I'm saying you're going to have to sweat in your Christian life. It ain't easy. You will sweat. It will be work. It's going to happen. I'm saying the growth and the fruit doesn't come from your sweat and from your work, though. It comes from partnering and relying ultimately on the Holy Spirit and living from his strength. And the Holy Spirit, like Austin, or Katie, uh, I don't know, Liz, there she is over there, Jen. Right, when they get baptized, right, when they give their lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in. We're going to talk about next week. That's just a deposit. That's not like, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's just a deposit. God says, hey, listen, when you become one of mine, my spirit comes and lives and resides in you. A baptism, a filling, an overwhelming, that just comes later. It's as you're living life and as you're in relationship with him. That's what happens. So it's not like when you get saved, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's not the case. And we're going to make that case biblically next week. It's a whole other thing. So we'll get to that next week. So you've got to make sure that you come next week because it's important to talk about that and understand that. Um, because this deposit is in us. No, you guys don't go to the bank and make a deposit because you're not going to withdraw on it. That deposit is there because when we die, God, he, he withdraws on that. He says, no, I deposited myself and up there with me. Like, my spirit is living in their life. My son's blood covers them. That's my deposit. I'm withdrawing now. Powerful stuff. Okay, can somebody help me pass out these elements here? <clears throat> Thank you. So just hold on to them when you get them. We're going to take them together.
Thanks, brother. So, Jesus, we just thank you for giving it all. You paid it all, and we just thank you for it. And we come against that mindset and that lie that tries to creep into our lives, into our hearts, that tries to tell us that somehow we don't have to pay it all. Somehow it won't cost us everything. It costs you everything, Jesus. And it's going to cost us. But I thank you that the blessings and the peace and the inheritance far outweighs the cost of inconvenience, of discomfort. We just thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, for just being obedient until death, never sinning at all. And you did it because we were worth it. And so we just thank you for that. May we be not only transformed and receiving of that love, but may we also be Multipliers of it. Just giving it to those around us, even if they don't deserve it. May we embody that love that has saved us and that has transformed us.